Welcome, everyone. This is Father Reed Hinserling at All Saints Episcopal Church in Lakeland, Florida. And we are looking at the Word of God. The Word of God for this coming week will include scriptures from Revelation and Luke. Now, remember last week we talked about the text that was from the Apocrypha. And since I don't speak on the Apocrypha, you can just skip that or maybe substitute a psalm for the day. I'm looking at the psalms. You have Psalm 148, 149, 150, Psalm 25, 26, 28, etc., etc. So if you wanted a third reading for this week, you might want to go to the Psalter and read those readings. So we're primarily going to be looking at two scriptures, the book of Revelation and the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, okay? Now, when you look at the book of Revelation, you are looking at a very, very difficult book, to say the least. The reason that Revelation is so difficult, last book of the Bible written and the last book of the Bible, it is apocalyptic, and it's got a lot of imagery that is difficult because there are many symbols, and we don't know what all the symbols represent. We don't know what they all mean. They have a worship context. They have a historical context. They have a literary context. And trying to figure out what all of that is and what all of that means can be difficult. And there have been many, many, many interpretations over Revelation. So I would ask, as we spoke about Revelation, um, we speak about Revelation, just be very, very careful in terms of what the book means and who you're listening to. I know that's not an easy thing to do by any means. The revelation of John, of course, John being the writer, John is the writer of the Gospel of John, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, so quite an extraordinary person, and probably the person that was closest to Jesus, John the Apostle, who lived to a ripe old age, we believe, and as far as we know, was not persecuted or suffered like many of the other apostles did in terms of dying. So Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and I like to say that it assumes that the individual knows everything that's happened before it. That is, that you understand, you have a very good understanding of the Old Testament, which is absolutely required to have any possibility that you could understand this book. So you have a great understanding of the Old Testament. You have a very good understanding of the New Testament as written so far in the letters of Paul, in Jesus' Gospels, in the Gospels, the four Gospels. And you have a good understanding of the church in the book of Acts. So Revelation becomes this quintessential book of the Bible, the last book of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, the last of the 27, and a very, very profound book. But as I said earlier, a very difficult one. Now we begin in Revelation 7. So this particular week, we're going to be looking at Revelation 7, 8, 9, and 10. Now I am not going to pretend to give you a full exposition of Revelation 7, 8, 9, and 10. What you should do is read it, read it slowly, read it carefully, 
listen to the rhythms of the book that John is writing. You might have a Bible that is a study Bible, and at the bottom of the study Bible are notes. Those notes will probably give you a little more information about what's going on in Revelation. But unless you did some serious commentary work, which I wouldn't really expect you to do, it's a fairly difficult book, to say the least. And so we go to chapter 7, the 144,000. That in itself is an extraordinary problem, starting in verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Well, we know what the four corners are, north, south, east, and west. Holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea. Now, isn't that interesting, to harm earth and sea? Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we've sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, the 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now, the 144,000 is very famous in the book of Revelation. Again, I am not going to pretend to tell you what that means unless I do a tremendous amount of study on this book. I will be teaching this book at All Saints eventually but not in the nearest future. The second day of the week, Revelation 7, 9 to 17. Now, this is a very beautiful um, reading that you may want to highlight in your Bible. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Then this is the throne of God, folks. This is right in the throne room. That's an extraordinary picture. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Remember Palm Sunday? Remember Jesus' introduction uh, and his procession into Jerusalem that week before he died. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now the Lamb, of course, John chapter 1, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist said. And salvation belongs to God. No doubt about it. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. By the way, for all of those people that are going to heaven, that's what you're going to be doing, worshiping God. Saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Now, you could do a word study just on those words. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might. Seven, by the way, the perfect number, seven. Might be to our God day and night. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So the idea of the Great Tribulation is a very important idea in Revelation. There are lots of different views on what that means. Again, I would not pretend to tell you what it means, but it is a very important theological concept, the Great Tribulation. Chapter 8, the seventh seal and the golden censer. 
the smoke of incense, verse 4, the prayers of the saints rising before God from the hand of the angel. This is the importance of prayer in the church. The seven trumpets in verse 6. The second angel blew a trumpet, verse 8. The third angel blew a trumpet in verse 10. The name of the star is Wormwood. If you know your C.S. Lewis, screw tape letters, Wormwood and screw tape are the main characters. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew the trumpet in verse 13. And in verse, that's, uh, that's verse 12. Verse 13, and then I looked, I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So again, chapter 8, a lot of stuff happening. Again, lots of study, lots of preparation, lots of background to understand properly what that means. But again, I strongly recommend you reading it. Chapter 9, we just continue with this idea. The sixth angel in verses 13, 1 through 12, uh, we have the fifth angel. And then in verse 13, we have the sixth angel. And then look at verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So the idea of repentance is still there even in Revelation, and we see it actually a lot, particularly toward the end. And the idea of sin and disobeying God and the consequences of doing that, those ideas are still present in Revelation. It's just a totally different language. Lots of different things happening. Finally, we end up for this week in Revelation chapter 10, the angel and the little scroll. And again, I wouldn't pretend to tell you about the angel and the scroll, but again, it's wonderful reading. He says, and verse 6, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it. So idea, again, the idea of creation right from the very beginning. So book of Revelation talks about the creation. The book of Genesis, 66 books earlier, talks about creation. Then the voice I heard from heaven, verse 8, spoke to me again saying, go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was as sweet as honey in, in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. This is chapter 10. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So what's the big picture here? The big picture, understanding is God's in charge. God is in charge of kings and nations and languages and peoples. He's in charge of everything. He is the Lord of all. And so Revelation does many things. One of the things it gives is a panoramic view of history, a panoramic view of God influencing history, and a view of the sovereignty of God and the providence of God and the greatness of God, the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, and how God is singularly in control. And throughout the stories, we have all this extraordinary language 
symbolic language, as I said earlier. So enjoy that in your study this week. Now, we continue on our study of the Gospel of Luke, the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. Remember, there were many Gospels at that time, but um, the church got together and said, these are the canonical Gospels. These are the ones that we support as being the Word of God. Chapter 9 Verse 51 to 61, as I was saying last week, is the cost of following Jesus. And it's a beautiful uh, reading. People want to follow him, but they really don't want to follow him. They want to do some other things along the way, like go bury their father. Let me say farewell to those at home. And, of course, he has that great 60-second line, the last verse of the chapter. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So, In the next several days, we see chapter 10, which is a long chapter, and it's broken down over Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And we see Jesus sending out the 72. Now, you've heard of Jesus sending out the 12, but the 72 is another matter. He appoints 72 others and sends them on ahead, two by two, every one to his town and place where he himself was about to go. He says that the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Pray there. For earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Into his harvest. So Jesus gives them direction as to what to do, and they are now carried out with the authority of Jesus to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to speak about the kingdom of God. Now, they themselves do not have that authority. They themselves do not have that power. That is power that Jesus is giving to the individuals. And in their going out in 72, there's obviously a larger number by six times, the 12, 12 times six is 72. So he's he's, uh, formulating, putting together, sending out a larger contagion of people that are going to give the message of Christ. He tells them what the message is, and then he gives them authority, and he gives them the power to do it. He also gives them the authority to pronounce woes on the people as well as blessings. He says in verse 16, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And so they are representing, these 72 are representing Christ. Of course, we can talk for an hour about how ministers and people that love God represent God and represent Christ. So the 72 return with joy, and they say something quite extraordinary. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So what's really important is not that they have all this power or not that they have this newfound authority, but in fact, more simply, that their names are written in heaven, and that's a good thing to remember. 
So we continue with Luke chapter 10, 17 to 24, where Jesus, again, he's speaking to the disciples. He's teaching them. Now, remember, he does things publicly, and he does things privately with the disciples, and he does things by himself. So we have the private persona of Jesus. We have his relationship with the 12 and family. And then thirdly, we have with the crowds when he is ministering in that way. Well, now we come to uh, Thursdays, chapter 10, 25 to 37, the very, very, very famous, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I don't think I need to recount it for you. I think you know it very well. It's interesting that it started off by a lawyer saying, what should I do to inhabit eternal life, to have eternal life? Jesus says, what is written in your law? How do you read it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, do this and you shall live. Yeah, you're right. Do that and you'll live. And then he said, the Bible says, he wanted to justify himself, make himself feel better. Who is my neighbor? And now we get the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so you know the parable real well. And at the end he says, which of these three do you think Jesus is asking this person? Prove to be neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus responded, go and do likewise. So that's self-explanatory. The end of chapter 10 is another very famous um, tete-a-tete is the relationship between Jesus and Martha and Mary. And Martha has a sister named Mary, and Mary liked to listen to Jesus talk. And Martha was there to prepare for Jesus, and she was distracted with her serving. And she said to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. I need some help to get this food ready. The Lord answered her, beautiful answer. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good, and this will not be taken away from her. Beautiful response to the idea of service. Service is good, but listening to Jesus is better. Loving your neighbor helping those in need. So we have two really great theological points here that Jesus makes in Luke. Which, by the way, these lessons are not in Matthew, Mark, and John. Finally, we have Luke chapter 11, 1 to 13, where we have the Lord's Prayer and a wonderful teaching of Jesus about prayer. So there's quite a bit in the 10th chapter as we go into the 11th chapter in terms of learning. And he talks about prayer, and he talks about persistence in prayer. And then he says at the end, on verse 11, in verse 11, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish be given a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If you and I are evil, and we bless our children, and God is good, 
and we ask him in his will for those good things, will he not grant them? And the answer is yes, he will. It's a wonderful teaching about prayer. And so we see the cost of following Jesus. We see the sending out, the sending out of the 72. We talk about their return and what they noticed. We find out that in the parable of the good Samaritan, who we are to help and who we are to help in terms of our neighbor, and then Martha and Mary, and then the exposition on prayer. So I hope all of you have a wonderful week of reading. Read slowly, read carefully, listen to the words, pray about them, and have the Holy Spirit speak to you. Lord God, we thank you for these holy words, and we ask your blessing upon all the people that listen to this teaching May each of us have a wonderful time uh, reading the Word of God in the Daily Lectionary this coming week. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time.